It's Tuesday, 5th of May. She's Jules Breach, I'm Andy Brassel, and this is Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. Coming up this week, Project Restart. Will the Premier League be back in action sooner rather than later? We speak to a former Premier League player who gives us his views. What are we in a rush to start next season for? Because we can't start that, that season anyway. And of course, we'll be catching up with your correspondence and you can always get in touch with us at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel, Jules and Andy at footballrambledaily.com. Morning, Jules. How's things? Good morning, Andy. Very good, thank you. Do you know what? It's been such a busy week. This last week has flown by and we know what it's like at the moment while we're all living in our homes in isolation and quarantined off that you have some weeks that go really slowly, some days that feel like they're never going to end and then some weeks that just seem to fly by and I've had one of those. My house no longer resembles my house. It looks like a TV studio, which (laughs) is pretty crazy. I don't know how we've managed to do it, but between myself and my other half, we have managed to turn my front room into a BT Sport TV studio, which has been really exciting, really exciting to kind of get back into doing some um, telework. And I think that now it's got to a point where with the period of time that we're in, we're getting more used to the fact that we probably will be working from home for quite some time still, and things aren't going to get back to normal for quite a while. So lots of the TV sort of companies and and TV shows have been starting to do more and more stuff from home. And so, yeah, there's a, there's a new show that I'm going to be doing for BT Sport coming up in the next few weeks, which is going to be really good fun. And it involves playing FIFA. So I am all in for this one, Andy. How's your week been? So are you actually playing FIFA? That's what people are listening to this show are going to want to know. <laughs> or, or are you just adjudicating, Jules? I am adjudicating. There is going to be a whole bunch of BT Sport pundits and some footballers and some music stars, and they're going to be competing against each other in a BT Sport FIFA challenge. So we're very excited about it. It all starts this weekend. So something to look forward to. And I'm just casting my eye over it and making sure I keep them all in check. Um, So it should be really good fun. That sounds uh, pretty special. I'm looking forward to that. Um, obviously, I don't have great view of FIFA at the moment. As Since we've been indoors, uh, my eight-year-old has been absolutely hammering me on it. So um, <laughs> uh, with that in mind, actually, if um, any of the, the, the Patreons that we have on um, Discord have any tips, I know there's a gaming thread on that if any of you want to leave me any tips about how to be better at fifa on the nintendo switch we would absolutely love to hear from you of course we've got loads of exclusive content um on uh, patreon.com forward slash football ramble daily where you can sign up for as little as five dollars a month of course if you can't stretch that you still get to hear us every tuesday by subscribing um by the the, the pod vessel of your choice pod vessel is that the correct phrase <laughs> Yeah, we'll go with that, Andy. We'll go with that. Um, On our pod vessel today, we are going to be discussing (laughs) the latest in Project Restart. Let's start with that today, Andy, because on Friday, we heard that the Premier League clubs met to discuss the latest plans in the restart. From what we learned from that meeting is that there are certain clubs and players who are still unsure about the proposed date of return of June the 8th. Those clubs are meeting again. All 20 clubs will be meeting again on Friday coming and they'll be voting on whether they think 
it should come back then and on all of the decisions to play in neutral venues, etc. Um, we're going to be giving you our thoughts on this in just a moment. But we caught up earlier with former Liverpool Leeds and Aston Villa defender Stephen Warnock to get his thoughts on Project Restart. And we asked him what his feelings were on football returning and whether he thought it was too soon. I, I do uh, a little bit, yeah, because I think there's too many questions there's too many concerns from people about the health of the players and um how often testing will be done etc i think the neutral venues and everything in and around that um I, i just think there's so much up in the air and no one's really come out and answered anything very clearly yet as to, to how it's going to work. I think the only person who I've seen speak any sense about the whole situation is Steve Parrish um, from Crystal Palace. And I think he spoke a lot of sense in what he's actually said. Stephen, it felt like for, for a lot of neutrals that it was an easier thing to do in France because Paris Saint-Germain was so clear at the top of the league. Obviously, Liverpool have an even greater league at the beginning of uh, at the top of the Premier League um, that it's been so much longer since they've won it. Does part of you feel, that, as it feels for some people, that we've got, or at least the football in public, have got such a, a desire for sporting justice that for Liverpool to get the title, that we feel we have to restart, even though the conditions aren't quite right for it? Yeah, possibly. I, I just think... Without being disrespectful to the other leagues, the Premier League is the biggest league and the most exciting league in the world. And I think what the Premier League are trying not to do is trying to jeopardise their their brand, if you like, and they want to finish it. To to have Liverpool win a league on a on a technical well, it's not a technicality because they they'll win it anyway when they, when it comes back for just to try and get six points. But to have it with an asterisk next to it to say that they won it, um, but they. They didn't officially win it. I don't think the Premier League want that. I think they want to to play out the remaining games of the season. I think what they're trying to do is make it as as honest as, as they can because not only for Liverpool, you, you're looking at the teams at the bottom of the league. They're so important that, um, that the league is finished because there's so much that can happen all across the league. We're talking about Champions League spots, European places, and then you're talking about relegation spots. There's so much up in the air um, but I think as a brand, I think the Premier League are trying to protect themselves. And when you talk about it being as honest and being finished in the most honest way possible, Stephen, then how does it sit with you, the potential of the league coming back, but the games being played at neutral venues? Because that seems to be a real sticking point for the bottom six in the Premier League. They're not happy about that. And this is causing now a little bit of a row from your opinion as a player from the days when you were playing is there a huge home advantage and how much does that count for well there can be a huge um, home advantage if you've got a crowd behind you but you're not going to have a crowd behind you because the games are going to be played behind closed doors anyway okay you get that comfort of being at your own ground and you understand the surroundings but when there's no sort of tension within the ground and there's no jeering when you're picking the ball up. Um, players will find it easier playing without without fans there. They'll find they'll find it more comfortable. So um, I, I do think the play, the teams that are sort of moaning about 
playing at home is because they're trying to find an excuse to make the season null and void because of the, the money that's at stake and they um, it, it basically secures them in the Premier League for the next year, which is something that they'll be desperate to do for financial gain as well as the status of being in the Premier League. I think from a player's point of view, I think there has to be, I mean, of course you want to, you want to play at home, but if, like I said earlier, if there's no there's no fa- no fans and no crowds, then it doesn't make that much of a difference. If I'm being totally honest, you talked about the the money aspect of it. I mean, everyone's losing money hand over fist in this situation, and not just in football, in business, all over the country and all all over the world. Um, what do you make of the argument of some Premier League clubs, certainly at the bottom, that it seems to be that relegation is something that they shouldn't have to put up with in this situation. Yeah, I, I don't actually agree with that, with the um, the no no relegation, if, if, if I'm being honest, because you, you look at the teams in the Championship and you're thinking of Leeds, West Brom, Fulham, the teams in and around the, the playoff places, the financial gains for them to go up are incredible. I mean, these teams have worked so tirelessly, so hard throughout, not just this season though, that's like work that's going on for a number of seasons, especially when you're looking at Leeds as well. You think of of how they've gone about the business in the last couple of years, trying to get out of that out of the championship. And for someone to turn around and just say, well, thanks for all your efforts this year, but it's not been quite good enough. We'll give you, in compensation, X amount of money, but you're going to try and get out of that league again. It's not as simple as that. It doesn't just come down to the size of the club and the manager who's in charge. The Championship's a ferocious league and it's very difficult to get out of, as Leeds have found for the last sort of however many years they've been in there now. So um, I think when you're talking about the integrity of the leagues and the honesty of the leagues, then we need relegation and we need promotion as well. Stephen, I know um, Jules wants to talk to you about the Leeds perspective in a little bit more detail in a second, but let's imagine for a second that the, the football can't carry on at any level in England and imagine that the season is, is is stopped here. Would you be in favour then of, say, if, if the season finished here, no relegation and a 22-team Premier League where, say, Leeds and West Brom came up and it was it was just a slightly bigger league for a, for a season? Would that be the fairest way of doing it if we weren't able to carry on the season? Um, it's very difficult to look at it in the 22-team the League that it comes comes complicated then because then you know, in a couple of years you're having to relegate four teams. How why is that fair in a couple of years? Okay, you might get a little bit again. It comes down to money. You might get a financial gain for a couple of years, and then you get parachute payments, etc. Um, but I, I know there's certain res- certain time frames on things from UEFA, from FIFA, and things to finish the league, but. I don't get what the big rush is to finish this league this season. Surely we can we can extend it because if we can't finish this season, what are we in a rush to start next season for? Because we can't start that, that season anyway because we still don't know what the virus is going to do. We don't know how it's going to come back up or whether we're going to get the second wave um, and how that's going to happen. I, I spoke about it uh, with someone else the other day and I was just saying, when you, you think about the... The World Cup in Qatar in uh, in a couple of years and being in December, it actually favours us to finish the season later on and start start the new season, whether it be in January next year. 
I know there's financial implications and, and will clubs be able to sus- be sustainable up until that period, but it actually helps in a way that we can finish this season later on. We don't have to rush it to get it done and then you can continue ne- and then start the next season and it falls into place over two years ready for the World Cup. And then what that actually does is give you two years to plan ahead to work out how to get the season rejigged and sorted out for um, for, fu- for the future. Yeah, I think um, myself and Andy have completely echoed your thoughts on that over the, the last few weeks, Stephen. We've been saying we don't understand what the crazy rush is to try and get it finished. And, and I think we're still of that opinion now, really. On the Leeds perspective, it's one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about being a former Leeds player, that if the season for some reason just can't continue. So forgetting what we've just said, how we think it should potentially move on and, and sort of finish whenever that is, if they decide that the season can't continue because I believe the government medics are meeting tomorrow, the administrators from lots of different sports, football, rugby, cricket and racing to agree on how sport comes back. If the decision is made that the football league can't continue, what do you think should happen in terms of promotion from the championship for clubs like Leeds and West Brom? I haven't got a clue. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm, I'm no, but I'm being completely honest there because yeah. I really don't know. Because what is the right decision? I mean, Leeds still have to, Leeds and West Brom still have to play Fulham, so Fulham could uh, potentially claw back three points on both them teams. We know how competitive the championship is anyway. Leeds could Leeds and West Brom have been on terrible slumps at a, at times in the season where they've dropped a huge number of points and Fulham have, have found themselves being very close to them at times. And you're thinking, why can't that happen over the period of the end of the season? Another one of my former clubs is Wigan. Wigan have just got themselves out the relegation zone for an incredible run of form. Now, what's to say that anyone else who's in the bottom three in the championship can't put together one of those run of forms and climb themselves out the relegation zones or climb themselves from being in the playoffs to leapfrog West Brom and Leeds. It's very hard to know what to do because, again, there's so many ifs, ifs, buts and maybes with the situation. And that's why we have to finish the season because everything will always get talked about in the future of, well, that was the wrong way. Well, we'll never... If we null and void it, it'll never be the correct way. It was always wrong. That was always the wrong decision. We should have waited. We, why did we have to do things so quick? And I think that that's what it all comes down to. Again, it comes down to why are we in such a rush to get this sorted? If I was a Leeds player, I, I'd be furious because they, they've also, and, and West Brom as well as Fulham, they've all worked so, so hard. And you want to pick a trophy up at the end of it or you want to be promoted. You want that final day feeling of getting promoted and that that sensation and, and that's going to be taken away or that could be taken away from them. So there's so many things that could potentially happen in football that um, we just don't know. And, and the right, what is the right answer? I've, I've not heard anyone come up with one 100% where you've gone, yes, that's the answer. Stephen Warnock there. Thanks so much to Stephen for joining us. Some really interesting points there. And, um, well, I, I guess there are so many things that we, we could discuss, Jules. I mean, I, I guess I'd start with 
with my feeling really on 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 the return the the, the Premier League, and it's, it's it's something we talked about in um, on the continent last week, me and Luke Moore. I think you have to judge not just from a health and safety perspective, although that is absolutely paramount. I do think you have to look at the emotional side of it, and of course we can talk about the players, and we're right to talk about the the the, the, the players. But I just wonder emotionally are we at that point yet as as a nation where where we're ready to to have football back my feeling is no now that doesn't mean you can't make plans in the meantime but you've got to make plans that are achievable and maybe setting it a little bit further down the line and i know everyone over the past two or three years in politics has got heartily sick of the expression kicking the can down the road but i do think that's necessary in this situation because you know italy was a point at a point where it wasn't ready for football to to come back and now it's got a little bit easier and it's more palatable for people to consider that even though clearly there are some huge swathes of the general public who still have their their doubts and don't feel quite right about it but i just feel more broadly that people really don't quite feel ready for it yet. And I don't feel that that's something that could be can be ignored. On the other hand, Jules, I was chatting to Lutz Fanningstiel on um, my TalkSport show, Trans-Europe Express, at the, the weekend. And um, he was saying that he feels it might be a morale booster. In, certainly he was talking about in the case of the Bundesliga, but of course it could be applied to the Premier League or any other league as well. For people who, as you were saying at the top of the show, are stuck indoors, a little connection to reality. Yeah, there's this strange feeling, isn't there, of kind of confliction in our in our heads that we sort of are, we're battling with at the moment. That's how I feel personally, because part of me is just like, I miss football so much. I just want it back. I just want to be watching it, whether that means we have to watch it on TV because the games are played behind closed doors, which is the only safe way to be able to do it at the moment. Or whether it means that, you know, football comes back normally and we get fans in the stadiums in the next few months if it's safe to do so. And I think that there's this sort of, there's almost this row going on, this disagreement with different kind of people and and the decision makers as to what is right. There's this element of kind of feeling guilty that we're putting football in front of health. And I don't think that that ever will be the case. I think that if football does return, it has to return and only if it's safe and healthy to do so. And that's why the people that are making these decisions, the government medics and the administrators from football and the other sporting bodies are going to be meeting this week to make a decision on how it can safely come back. And my feeling is that unless it's possible to do that, then football won't return on June the 8th. But we'll have to wait and see how it all pans out. One of the things that I find most interesting about the the possible restart of the Premier League is this whole discussion on neutral venues. Now, from from the reports that I've been reading, there are the bottom six clubs are against this. And we asked Stephen about that. And he did say that, of course, home advantage is a thing in football and it is something that makes a difference, but only if there are fans in the stadium, which, which is a fair, it's a fair point, isn't it? The only thing is, is that when you look at those bottom six clubs and the matches they have left to play, they've all got nine games left to play apart from Aston Villa, who've got an extra game. But 
five home games each and four away. It's pretty much an even split amongst all of the bottom six. So really, they're all going to be in the same boat if football is played at these neutral venues. How do you feel, Andy, as a football fan, at the thought of these teams fighting for survival in the Premier League, fighting it out for a Champions League or a Europa League spot, but having to play those games not at their home ground. Does it sit right with you? Um, Well, I think the the situation is what it is. I I think we have to appreciate that. And if this is the safest way of of doing it and it's um, deemed a financial imperative uh, for the future of of, of football and it can be done safely to get on with it... um, I'm I'm not completely against it. I, I think everyone has to give a little bit and everyone has to realize that they're going to lose a, a little bit um when when you when you, when you look at it. And I mean, you know, if if you look at certainly look at look at Norwich for for example, they've got one of the worst home records in the Premier League. So how much of an advantage mm. Is it, is it going to be? I, 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 I suppose that's 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 one way you could you could look at it. And as Stephen was saying, you know, it will be a completely different situation, won't it? Just because there there won't be any 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 fans there. And these this uh, thread of discussion that well, when people talk about sporting integrity, how can it be sporting integrity when you don't have the same conditions at the end of the season? that you have at the start of the season. Mm. That's not sporting integrity. Yeah. I don't agree with that at all because I, th- I think you're kidding yourself if you think that conditions are the same throughout the season anyway, regardless of the fact that this is an extraordinary situation and we all in any walk of life have to get through it the best way we can and you know just put up with the fact that, that stuff is going to be a bit different, a bit unusual and you know it might fit and feel not quite right because the fact is if you go through any season um you have injuries you have suspensions in some cases and fortunately this hasn't really happened in the in, in the premier league um you'll have situations where fans behave badly or there's some sort of safety issue and part of a stadium or a whole stadium is 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 closed you know we've we've been there in 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 other situations and of course in England played a a qualifier against Croatia behind closed doors didn't they so i think that was a bit of an eye opener for a lot of uh, english based journalists who aren't really used to seeing football behind closed doors and you know there was interesting pushback on you know what is the point on on football without fans. I think there's been an interesting discussion actually when maybe when we're talking about the future of the FA Cup and I know something the the lads on the ramble uh, touched at yesterday touched on yesterday with Pete's what can we say uh, wholehearted campaign <laughs> for Newcastle to be awarded the <laughs> FA Cup <laughs> which is which is fair enough um but we've we've had um pushback in a couple of other countries um in uh, Spain, for example, where the Copa del Rey final it was going to be a Basque derby between uh, Athletic and Real Sociedad. And in France, where they had the idea, even though they've um, stopped the season, that the Coupe de France final would maybe kick off next season between Paris Saint-Germain and Saint-Étienne. Okay. And the clubs, have, the clubs involved have said, well, we're not going to play it without fans. And they've not said that mm. about about league matches. Now, I th- I think they're quite right to. I think there's a... There's a big difference here because 
I'd be interested to know your view on this because obviously you've talked before on 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 Jules and Andy about what an amazing experience you had when you took your um, your motorcycle dash to Wembley to to, <laughs> to 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 go to to go to the Brighton semi and what an incredible experience that was for you. I feel that, of course, all football is for fans and football is not the same without fans. But in this extraordinary situation where there's a sense that it would be best for football when safe to, to, to get on with it behind closed doors when, when we can, that's something that maybe we have to put up with in the short term. For me, cup football is, and especially cup finals – absolutely pointless without supporters. I can't see that at all. It's interesting to hear some really big clubs elsewhere in Europe come out and say, yeah, this is something, you can count us out for this. And of course, there's maybe not quite the the TV money imperative to, to do so. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, look, let's face it, as football fans, I don't really believe that any football match should be played without fans in the stadium. But as you say, Andy, in the unprecedented times we're in right now, this is such an unusual situation for the integrity of the league to get the leagues finished so that we have those promotions, so we have the proper champions, so we have those European places qualified for, we have the real relegations, we know exactly where everyone stands at the end of the season. I think the matches in the domestic leagues should be finished and I think that that needs to be done. I am, however, with Stephen Warnock on this one. I don't believe that there is a massive rush to do it. I don't necessarily think it has to be as soon as June the 8th. There's probably a reason why that date was put forward and and why it needs to be then. I don't personally feel like there necessarily needs to be such a rush to do it. But I do understand that in order to finish these final nine or so games of the season and to get a finish to the season, we might have to play behind closed doors. And I'm and I'm kind of okay with that in terms of the domestic season. When it comes to the cup competitions, there's absolutely no way. Because as you say, those cup competitions for a lot of those teams are such a one-off situation to be able to get deep into one of those tournaments and get the opportunity to lift a trophy. That experience I had going to Wembley as a Brighton fan to watch the FA Cup semi-final is one of the best memories I've had as a Brighton fan. And I wouldn't cha- wouldn't have changed it for the world, having to dash out of the BT Sports Studio as soon as I came off air, jump on the back of a motorcycle, <laughs> fearing for my life, going down. I can't even remember the name of the road. The A, the A, what is it? The A40 that takes you to Wembley. I'm so bad with road names, but it was terrifying. I screamed half of the way there. Um, I was freezing cold as well because it's so cold on the back of a motorbike when the breeze is smashing you in the face. But when I got there, I'd missed the first half an hour, I think it was, 30-odd 30, 30 minutes. The rest of the game was just amazing. And I remember like at the final whistle, even though we didn't win, I was just so proud just looking around me and seeing a sea of blue, seeing everyone in their in their kits and seeing all the flags and the banners and the players walking around applauding the fans for being there and following them all the way to the to Wembley to the FA Cup semi-finals those are moments that as football fans you never ever forget and yeah. i don't think that cup competitions should be played without fans there there'd, there'd just be no point would there andy yeah the the cup is about great days out jules isn't it and it's it's about yeah. 
you know, representing your your team on on an, on an occasion. Um, so I, I I completely agree with that. Um, but it was interesting as well. I thought hearing Stephen talk about and th- this is something that um, I've heard a couple of other people mention. Some um, big coaches in in France. Uh, I know uh, Christian Gourcuff was one of them at, at Nantes, the father of Johan. Um, mentioned that that possibility of football almost resyncing to get into sync with the the Qatar World Cup which I think is an an interesting point now quite apart from the morality of that and obviously a, a lot of people are, are still quite annoyed that Qatar got to shift the World Cup uh, having like sold it on taking it as a summer World Cup like all the other ones are um but in in terms of how that would fit with a, a European season, I think that there would be a lot of big clubs in favour of that. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Um, my feeling is quite apart from you know what you think about the award of the of, of the World Cup to Qatar. I, I think it's, it's in terms of sport, it's actually quite a unique opportunity because you know we we always or or some people always complain about how it's a bit flat, about how the quality of football is not quite there. And for me, it's quite an obvious answer to that. You know, it's the fact that all the top players play in Europe and the European season absolutely flogs players. When you look at the very best players playing 60 matches in a season, why would they be playing their best or at their physical peak at at the end of that? They wouldn't. I think... In terms of football, whatever you think about uh, the World Cup being awarded to Qatar or about it being um, in December, it is going to be, I think, in football terms, assuming everything runs more or less to normal, I think it will be a terrific World Cup because the players won't all be completely flaked. They'll only be halfway through a season. And I'll be really interested to see, of course, we've seen it with the African Cup of Nations before. Some players come back from that and they're really energised and in the zone and others are completely knackered. So I think you'll get some sort of unevenness in the second half of that season in 2022-23. In but in terms of the actual World Cup itself, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see in terms of the actual quality of football, the best World Cup that we have seen maybe for a couple of decades? Well, I think that <laughs> at the moment we'll take anything, won't we? There's There's been a lot of sort of mm. different opinions on how excited fans have been getting about that World Cup because obviously it's not played in the summer like we're used to and it's you know going to be a bit different to, to normal. But I think right now, as football fans, we'll take anything. Anything that goes wrong within the confines of sport will be amplified beyond the ramifications of anything else. Every business that goes back, and sport is a business, is going back for one reason and one reason only, which is ultimately money. You're listening to Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. We're going to be getting to your correspondence very shortly at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel and at Football Ramble is how to get in touch with us on Twitter. Or you can email us, Jules and Andy at footballrambledaily.com. Yes. And um, of course, we'll be hearing from you uh, a little bit later, as Jules was saying. But for the moment, we wanted to talk about, let's talk about an actual kind of on-pitch matter, Jules. And I was really interested to see uh, this interview with uh, Kevin De Bruyne at at the weekend in Herr Leuster News. And it was um, 
about a lot of things um about um roberto martinez signing an extension to 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 stay until after that world cup in 2022 that um we were talking about uh with the belgian national team but also he spoke about the champions league ban for manchester city now uh kevin de bruyne said in this and it's been highlighted in a few media outlets in in the uk De Bruyne said, two years without European football would be long. One I could put up with. Um, the club is confident it will work out and um, I, I want to see um, it come to a conclusion before I, I, I say anything further on it. But that was interesting, wasn't it? Because it kind of left the door open to the fact mm. that he might have some sort of decision to make were Manchester City banned uh, from the Champions League for, for two years. Now, there's no doubt that Manchester City are all in on Kevin De Bruyne. Um, you know, he's got three years left on his contract. They see him as a future captain by all accounts. I know Christophe Terreur, um, the Belgian journalist who works in the UK, was was keen to to reiterate that when, when he was talking about it um, on social media over the, the, the last couple of days. Kevin De Bruyne is 28, though. To miss two years of Champions League would be really tough for him. Someone who I think sometimes is a little bit underrated, but certainly is amongst the top 15, 20 players in the world at the very least. Um, do you think he's got a decision to make if City end up with a, with a two-year ban? Well, he's he's made that clear, hasn't he, Andy, that he has got a decision to make and that he will be making a decision if that two-year ban is is upheld. Um, it's worth pointing out because I actually had to double check this earlier when we decided to talk about this, that the situation still is as it was, which is that Manchester City have appealed the decision and they're still waiting on an answer. So I think that Kevin De Bruyne has made it very clear that if they do get a two-year ban, I think he will look to move on. That's what he's made clear from this interview. It's, it's really interesting to, to sort of hear him speak so openly about this. And it's one of the things that I found really fascinating about this period we're in now with isolation and the interviews that a lot of players are giving. I feel like they're opening up a bit more. I don't know what you mm. think, Andy, but I think that doing these interviews from their living rooms or from their kitchens and speaking to journalists... I almost feel like they're more relaxed and more willing to be honest with their opinions. I don't know whether Kevin De Bruyne would have said this had the season been played out as normal. What do you think? I 100% agree with Jules. And it's like an extended international break, isn't it? Because normally players on international break go back home, they speak in their mother tongue to journalists uh, um, they're comfortable with or maybe more comfortable with in a situation that they're comfortable with. And then, of course, they come back and go, oh, yeah, it was mistranslated. I didn't say I wanted to leave. I didn't say the coach was an idiot. I didn't say any of that sort of stuff. Of course, it's different. If it's on Instagram, you can't really deny it, can you? Because it's absolutely it's absolutely out there. But I think it's it's not just home comfort. And as you say, if you sat there in in, in your kitchen or with your kids or, or, or whatever, it is a little bit different. But I think it's also the fact that it's such an uncertain time I mean you know Mm. you don't know when you're going back you're removed from your normal life I think it does strip away a a lot of a lot of the facade in in so many ways you know it's not just 
you know, it's it's not just you recording this show in your slippers or me recording it in <laughs> in, in my pajamas. Hey, not, hey, not I'm, to, in my, I'm in my pajamas today. today, Andy. I'm in my pajamas. <laughs> I am. I'm not going to lie. I'm in slippers, pajamas, the full lot. I've not even brushed my teeth yet. <laughs> 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 fantastic it'll be jaffa cakes for breakfast next but <laughs> yeah, I, I think i think yeah there there is a sense of of, of the guard being down a, a little bit but I, I want to talk about kevin de bruyne as a as a player a little bit because um you know he is one of the greatest players in, in the premier league and i think why he is the ultimate premier league playmaker i mean we know he can see any pass and the amazing thing about him a little bit like David Beckham, although I do think he's a more gifted passer generally than David Beckham. The thing that I always found amazing about Beckham is he could see passes that you couldn't see while you were watching the game. And it's so it's the easiest yeah. thing to in, in the world to watch the game and see what pass they should make. It's a different thing to make it on the pitch. But for you to not be able to see that pass and then to be able to see it and make it was an incredible thing. De Bruyne can do that from so many different situations you know it's, it's like he's got you know eyes in the back and side of his head and probably both shoulders <laughs> as as well the other thing that makes him so valuable in a, in a premier league context i think is the fact that he's really quick as well and that helped him score a lot of goals in the first bit when he arrived at manchester city where he could make that run beyond the striker because he had such an incredible pace now i think it's something that becomes more and more important not just for english football but for all the top clubs everywhere, you've looked at how Real Madrid have got a bit slower in midfield this season. And that eventually, I think, could spell the end of Luka Modric at, at Real Madrid. Kevin De Bruyne is someone who doesn't have that problem. He's valuable because he's so valuable because he's such an intuitive footballer, but he's really athletic and quick. And, you know, normally, I think when you see a player of this sort of quality, even if you see a player of this sort of quality, you think there's a limited amount of landing spots for them. I can't think of many clubs who, money notwithstanding, would not want Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah, I completely agree. It's all of those things you've just just talked about in terms of his talent on the pitch. He is a sensational footballer to watch. There have been times where I've been sat there watching matches that he's in and you just actually almost gasp at how on earth has he found that pass? And it's not just about the pass and finding that player. It's how he perfectly executes the weight of pass as well, isn't it, Andy? He's just yeah. an incredible player to watch. And I think that had Liverpool not completely run away with this season and Man City dipped in form um, at times and and had some surprising losses in there and and all of the things that they've struggled with this season, particularly defensively, for me, I think Kevin De Bruyne would be up there as as the player of the season. But because of Liverpool's dominance, it's going to have to go to either Jordan Henderson or Virgil van Dijk. That's what we can assume. Now, when we think about Kevin De Bruyne and the influence he has on this Manchester City side, without him, and we then think further along from that, perhaps, with David Silva retiring at the end of this season, Vincent Company obviously leaving last year, the issues that they've had having not really kind of found that replacement for Vincent Company um, in terms of a leader. If Kevin De Bruyne were to leave as well, it's going to be quite a different squad and it's going to take 
I think, quite a bit of time to reshape that Manchester City team if Kevin De Bruyne were to leave because he's so instrumental in everything that Pep Guardiola's team do. You notice the difference when Kevin De Bruyne isn't playing for Manchester City. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And the fact that he's got that sort of leadership role and, you know, you talked about, well, we've been talking all the way through, I suppose, um, either directly or indirectly about the, the Champions League they've still got an opportunity to win it whenever the competition mm. resumes. Um, so if he might not get player of the year, but he might uh, in, in, the, in the Premier League, either with the, the, the PFA or the, or, or the football writers. But, you know, I, there's a good chance of him being able to get into the, the UEFA team of the year um, whenever, whenever they, they complete the Champions League and, and figure that out. I mean, he was really so good, not just in the way he played, not just in the fact that he scored the winning penalty, but the way he led the team in that match at the Bernabeu. And I know it seems about a million years ago now, um, but it was mm-hmm. one of Manchester City's last matches as 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 stands. I think that showed not just what he is technically for them, but w- what he is as a, as a as a leader. So yeah, it's absolutely paramount that they they hold on to him. I just want this season to... Um, resume as well for all of the kind of incredible stats that we might see from individual players as well and Kevin De Bruyne is one that stands out for me because at the moment it's Thierry Henry who still holds the record for the most assists in a Premier League season Thierry Henry got 20 assists in the 2002-03 season and Kevin De Bruyne is on 16 assists as things stand. So he's only four away of equaling Thierry Henry and five away from bettering that record. And for the season he's had, I think he scored eight goals as well. For the season De Bruyne's had, I want him to get that record. I want him to kind of, I know that players will always say, oh, it doesn't really matter about those individual records, but a player of Kevin De Bruyne's quality, especially if we do eventually see him move on from the Premier League, I think he needs to hold that record for most assists in a season because he deserves it. This is Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. We'll get to your correspondence in a minute. Before we do that, we just wanted to reflect on the decision that the National League has made. A couple of weeks ago, they have decided to put a stop to the season, but it's yet to be decided on exactly what will happen in terms of promotions and relegations. And you'll remember that we had Aldershot manager Danny Searle on the show a couple of weeks ago, who spoke very eloquently about the National League's decisions and and exactly what he thought should happen. Well, Danny has set up a brilliant initiative to help players who are out of contract. Have a little listen to what he's doing. Um, today's message goes out to those young players that have been told they're not going to be getting contracts for next season. And that's whether you're a second year scholar, first or second year pros, maybe even a little bit younger or older. And I completely understand that this is a really traumatic time for you, especially um, in the current situation where you can't get yourself out and on trial or training with other clubs because of of the circumstances we find ourselves in. So if you need any help or advice and you want someone just to to sort of, I don't know, bend their ear a little bit and ask them some things about what they could do going forward, please feel free to contact me. I've got uh, Instagram, Twitter, or my LinkedIn page, or however you want to sort of speak to me. It's not a problem and I'll try and help you the best I can. And as well as that, I'm going to open up my sessions that I've been doing with my players at Aldershot Town. We've been doing some Zoom technical sessions and gym sessions and please feel free to join that to keep those 
to keep those energy levels up, to keep that positivity going and to try and stay focused and refocus on what you want to achieve. Well, I think it's brilliant what Danny's doing, Andy. There are going to be so many players, particularly younger players, who are a bit of a a loss end at the minute. And I think that the one thing that really sticks out to me that Danny suggested there with, with this thing that he set up is that a lot of these young players will be missing out on that time they spend with their teammates and and training. And to be able to offer these online sessions to train with his Aldershot team is such a lovely thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And th- that's um, a really good, really innovative idea. I mean, he was saying he initially borrowed it off uh, Jose Mourinho, didn't he? But I think mm. what Danny offered, uh, it, was, it was great to see this, what Danny offered that I thought was the most important, it's just simply an ear for for young players um <clears throat> that that sense that you know at the best of times you know it feels like the, the the roof has fallen in when um you don't get signed or you don't get kept on by by a professional club but just to offer to listen i think that's the most important thing and that's the most important thing like generally at the moment isn't it to 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 make yeah. time for people and you know so people don't feel alone and and, and don't feel disconnected so I, I think that's a really terrific thing that he's doing and it's also just reminding everyone that although right now this feels like it we don't know when it's going to end and it could go on forever it won't this will all come to an end eventually and in the grand scheme of our lives and the long careers that these footballers will have and that all of us have ahead of us this really is just a small period of time so it's worth remembering that and kind of just trying to stay positive with everything and and um yeah a, a brilliant thing that Danny's doing so if you do need any help with that just check out Danny Searle on Twitter he's put all the contact details of how you can get in touch with him and yeah. if you are a professional player or a semi-professional player or you're out of a club at the moment, then it's well worth getting in touch with Danny to um, get some support. Um, Let's get to some more of your correspondence now. A couple of tweets, a couple of questions. And a lot of this is around Project Restart, Andy. Um, The first one from David Bowman. He said, do you think the 2021 season should be abandoned so that this season can be finished at a more leisurely pace? So should we scrap next season and then therefore the whole of that period of time that nine months we can use to slowly finish this season off rather than rushing it back potentially on june the 8th as project restart suggests what do you think i I don't think the two things have to be mutually exclusive i think um this season will get completed and uh, if it means next season is delayed or truncated then then fine um but uh, I, I don't think if there's an economic imperative to finish this season, there's definitely an eco- economic imperative to do next season. I think it's almost inevitable that next season will be affected to a, a greater or lesser extent. But I think writing it all off is is going to make things very, very difficult for not just the clubs, but everyone who who works in, in football. And, you know, that includes all the people who work in the ticket office and work at the stadium on, on match day and all, all that, all that other stuff is clear that um, we're having to get to used to a, a new normal. Um, but just as it's too early to make a lot of decisions, I definitely think it's too early to, to write next season off. You know what? Everyone's coming up with lots of these different suggestions. And, and I think earlier on, on Jules and Andy, Stephen rightly said himself, you know, it's so hard because everyone's coming up with these different suggestions, but there isn't really one yet that everyone's gone, right, 
that's the right answer there, isn't it? And, and that's the tricky thing yeah. with this is that there are constantly lots of different suggestions. Gordon Taylor made an interesting suggestion this week, didn't he, Andy? And Jack Chesterman has tweeted us asking whether we think Gordon Taylor is fit to be the PFA chairman. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, this goes back to an interview we gave on uh, Radio 4, I think with Gary Richardson this very morning, where he said that uh, one of one of the ideas uh, was to uh, truncate the actual length of games. So maybe make them shorter than 45 minutes each way. I, I'm not really sure what the, the benefit of that is. The only thing that I would say is um, I have a degree of sympathy for even some of these more bonkers ideas at the moment, because I think people are just brainstorming out loud. As you say, Jules, there's no, yeah. there are no definites yet. So I think people are getting used to thinking out loud and getting worse and worse at, at self-editing because, you know, you feel as if you have to come up with an answer when, the, when there's not an answer yet. So um, I think the question over whether Gordon Taylor is fit to be PFA chairman is, is a little bit, separate from from this clearly we've had that the whole thing in in the last week of of dave kitson um putting forward his candidacy um it's, it's something again that i'm not hugely on board with because i think his relations um with with a certain part of the the, the playing community show that this this is probably not going to work and you know we've seen the reaction to his proposed candidate his self-proposed candidacy from especially black players i mean straight away that, that's a huge red cross if, if the players aren't having it you know how can you how can you be a candidate so um like so many other things at this time i think is seen as a, a, a possibility to start again, to rethink the way things are done. Because we've got more time to think about it and because we've got more time to, you know, really genuinely chew it over because time is the one thing that everything has at the moment, everyone has at the moment. Um, so certainly I think if the players think the time is is, is right for uh, PFA reform, we we have to take them seriously. And some of those senior players, and we've seen that there are genuine leaders out there, notably Jordan Henderson. And the, the, the time is right for them to them to make it happen because it's their organization. All right. Well, thanks everyone for getting in touch with us. Do stay in touch. Another Jules and Andy on the way for you next week, Tuesday. So if there's anything you want us to discuss, then please do email us, Jules and Andy at footballrambledaily.com. You can tweet us at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel, and at Football Ramble on Twitter. Andy, hope you have a lovely week and I'll see you again next time. Yeah, look forward to it. Speak to you then, Ramblers. This was a Stakhanov production.